Hey, welcome to On to Waveland. This is the Cubs podcast from The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, and I am joined by Patrick Mooney, but not Sahadif Sharma. He is skipping out on us this time, and we'll have to just make do, which we will, because he's really sort of a net loss in this whole uh, thing. And so I think that everyone will really enjoy this show. It's funny, we were talking just as we started recording. We often record this Monday morning podcast uh, on Sunday evenings after the Cubs have played, and then it sort of drops first thing in the morning for folks on their commutes. So sorry, by the way, if you were hoping to pick this up before your commute today, and we're, we're a little tardy. But the upside is a lot of stuff went down this morning uh, just before we started recording, so we actually have a little bit more meaningful conversation to have. It, it was going to be the case that it was going to be, uh, you know, the Cubs really uh, sucked it up this weekend. We can talk about Danny Hulson's amazing debut, but that was about going to be the only delightful spot in the conversation. But now, uh, among other things, there is a pretty significant promotion on the way for the Cubs. So I'm going to tee that one up for you, uh, Patrick. Do you want to you want to share folks? Because some people may not have even seen it yet. It's like just happening now. I mean, we can talk about the shiny new toy that is going to immediately save the Cubs offense. That would Cookies. be uh, Nico Horner, uh, their first round pick from it was just only last year. But we've been talking about him uh, so much that it seems like he's been around longer. Uh, <clears throat> kind of the chain reaction from uh, Javi Baez's uh thumb fracture which uh today he is supposed to be seeing a hand specialist that will give the cubs uh, a timeline but there's not a whole lot of optimism that he will be back uh anytime soon um the possibility exists that it's a season ending injury and then a strange situation with addison russell on sunday getting hit by a pitch um kind of lobbying to stay in the game uh sliding headfirst into second base on his own scoring a run and then getting pulled from the game and being uh, part of the put into concussion protocol. So he was unavailable to reporters uh, late Sunday afternoon in the uh, Miller Park visiting clubhouse. And yeah, Nico Sahadev and I had both been kind of <clears throat> asking about him throughout the season, just checking on his progress, how good he had been. Um, and there was this thought kind of in the summer, not like on the front burner, but that there was this recognition that what Nico did was like kind of would fit perfectly with this team. Kind of the he'd add some speed, uh, contact skills, um, you know, an ability to kind of move the baseball, as Joe Madden uh, likes to say. I mean, however. Uh, he got injured. He got hit by a pitch uh, himself. That kind of set him back. Um, I think the power wasn't quite there. He didn't have like an off-the-charts great season that might have forced their hand earlier. Then all of a sudden you had Ben Zobers coming back, Ian Happ earning a promotion. Uh, we had Robel mania. So it felt like the Cubs, uh, beyond just the, the roster considerations and the club control angle that, you know, Nico would go to the fall league um, and put himself in position with another strong spring training showing to be part of the team's uh, 2020 plans, kind of a next man up. But this is the way this season has gone. It's kind of going off the rails here of uh, Brett, you mentioned it on Bleacher Nation, just when you kind of uh, lay out all these 
big names that are now kind of either banged up, injured, uh, out for the season, going all the way back to you know Brandon Morrow. That um, this is not the uh, energetic September that Joe Madden envisioned or Theo Epstein's front office. And it's you know it's interesting that it's a credit to what the organization thinks of Nico Horner that. Um, even as you call up a guy in this situation because of the injuries that have happened ahead of him and it's just an organizational need and you think the talent can meet that need, um, it would be very hard for almost any player in this situation not to put too much pressure on themselves and not to be overwhelmed by the moment. Um, Again, and this this is a kid who was just drafted last year. He has barely half the pro plate appearances that any other Cubs prospect in recent memory has come up. You know, Kyle Schwarber was the fastest, right? He came up in the year after he was drafted uh, later in the year, uh, not quite this late, but uh, in August. And he had almost twice as many pro plate appearances as Nico Horner. So this is really, really an exceptional situation for a player who, you know, when he got that very challenging assignment to go to double A to start his full pro year, we were hearing from Theo Epstein about what an uncommonly prepared and mature and uh, ready this young player was. And so I think that probably even though there's a need for him to come up, there's probably also a feeling that he's a guy who can maybe handle this, this unique situation and not be, overwhelmed by it but you're right in in the way that you joked at the very beginning that like nobody should be looking at this as a okay the offense has needs and therefore and Nico Horner what he does is sort of complementary to those needs because you're again you're right in everything that you say he's not coming up because he is that guy and it's like okay this is what we need for the lineup like oh look what Ben Zobris did with his disciplined high contact approach it's it's transformational at the top of the order now let's pair him with Nico Horner and boom everything's fixed it's not like that it is happening because of the injuries it's more just a, a fact that it's happening because of the injuries and it's okay because of this player so it'll be interesting to see what he does you know we see so often that young players come up the the book on them is somewhat limited although that's that's changed in recent years with um pretty dramatic increase in the way that teams are prepared for young players who come up pretty quickly but you see that spark just that natural spark and um you know we saw it with robel garcia uh who succeeded quite a bit early on and i think all of us were prepared for what was going to come thereafter when the league adjusted and stopped throwing him fastballs with Horner. That's not really, you don't really have the same uh, obvious trajectory where it's going to be like, okay, he's going to be able to do this. And then the league's going to take advantage of this Uh, in part because he does so many other things. Well, other than what he provides at the plate, I mean, he's a very good defender and he's probably immediately going to be the best base runner on the team. So they're going to get, um, some benefit from having him around and and perhaps he gets some long-term benefit from being able to be with the big league players, big league coaching staff, independent race, just kind of get this experience. It might help him for 2020 and beyond, regardless of what he provides for the Cubs. It's interesting on opening day in Texas, uh, Theo was directly asked about Nico and that aggressive placement at AA and he explicitly ruled out the idea of him coming up this year, but obviously uh, there have been so many kind of 
unforeseen uh, events, although a lot of these underlying issues we've been talking about for years, but just this chain reaction that's led to Nico's uh, promotion. And I think you're right that he's not some sort of like uh, guy you pair with Ben Zobris. They can just let him hit whatever eighth or ninth and um, you know, kind of get his feet wet. But certainly this is a guy, uh, he's a Stanford guy. He's got a high baseball IQ. Um, he's athletic. Uh, they clearly think he's a better defensive option than David Bodie uh, at shortstop. And, you know, you saw it the other night in Milwaukee when Addison Russell sails that throw to Rizzo and gives the Brewers an extra out, an extra at bat to, to Yelich, and then it's like the most predictable ending ever, a walk-off loss that, you know, if he just catches the ball, throws the ball, um, and doesn't look out of place, um, there's going to be you know, benefit in that. And there's certainly this offense uh, is going to rise or fall on the, the big names that we all know. Some of them are have lots of question marks behind them, whether it's KB, Javi, uh, et cetera. But I do think it's interesting when you talk about 2020 and there is still 20 games left and the Cubs are still uh, in the playoff chase, even though there are times where it doesn't really feel like it, that you can still see kind of these developmental moments of like Joe Madden wanting to push Rowan Wick for a four-out save and, you know, uh, someone like Holson coming up or um, this, you know, kind of triple-A younger bullpen that you could almost see next year in front of uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, assuming he's healthy. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, fresh tonight in San Diego. Uh, I would presume that uh, Horner will be plugged right into the lineup at shortstop, probably batting down in the owner order like uh, Patrick said and hopefully it'll be just a, a nice experience maybe a little extra breath for the Cubs that uh, you know lost a few games this weekend to the Brewers fell ever further behind the Cardinals four and a half out and uh, they maintain a one and a half game lead in, for the second wild card spot but obviously it's going to be a battle from here on out for a number of reasons and uh, we will obviously get back into the game stuff as the week goes on, uh, we'll be back at you guys Thursday morning. We can talk about this Padres series in the context of uh, an ever-reshaping roster. And the reason I'm segueing a bit off of that is because before we run down this podcast, I think there's sort of a bigger picture baseball story that um, maybe isn't going to get quite as much attention in the Cubs sphere, but that I think is a really interesting conversation to have and it is sort of happening you know concurrently with this Nico Horner news and um, you know I think the whole of the baseball world is going to be reacting to it over the course of the next few days and that is the Boston Red Sox who by the way won the World Series uh, <laughs> this past year firing President Dave Dombrowski after a, a disappointing uh, follow-up season this year, but then I think also probably looking ahead to not a, a rebuilding situation, but certainly they're at a phase of their um, organizational churn that they're going to have to make some big decisions this offseason. And, and clearly leadership felt like they wanted a new uh, man in charge to do that. And so, you know, I'm curious for you, Mooney, what your reaction was to, to learning that the 
the Red Sox were being so aggressive in making that move so soon after a championship. I wasn't surprised by the decision. I guess the timing, uh, was it after midnight on the East Coast? I just kind of checked my phone before uh, going to bed, and it was one of those, like, you know, eye-opening, like, wait, did I just see that on Twitter? Just in terms of timing, but I think there's a natural Cubs connection beyond their obsession with all things Boston and Fenway Park on the baseball and business sides of just that the Cubs are nearing uh, that same kind of point where they're going to have to reorganize or reimagine their roster and how they do things. And that's not advocating to get rid of Joe Madden or trade Chris Bryant. It's just that, um, those types of decisions uh, about the roster, about leadership, uh, are kind of underway. And I also think that there's a cautionary tale, I think, too, in Boston that sometimes that churn um, goes so fast. And you've seen it, you know, the Cubs is big market team and with all these expectations and how they've just cycled through hitting and pitching coaches year after year and kind of anointing these young players and thinking that, oh, these guys are going to be, you know, together forever and, you know, be this kind of like, uh, you know, Red Sox 2.0 lineup. It just doesn't work this way. The game uh, is complex. Uh, Changes happen uh, very quickly, sometimes imperceptibly. And, while I don't think uh, Theo is uh, running back to Boston or anything like that, I do think there's um, just some undercurrents of the Cubs looking at that and is like, is that what we want to be? And I know that, you know, if the Cubs do part ways with Joe Madden, there will be uh, these kind of reference points of, well, Joe Girardi managed the Yankees to whatever it was, game seven of the ALCS, and he didn't get a new contract as a World Series winning manager. And they'll be, well, kind of shrugging your shoulders and say, hey, Dave Dombrowski was in a World Series parade and then fired 10 months later. Hey, that's just the the way of the game when, in reality, I think there are some kind of cultural issues within the Cubs organizations that they need to uh, address more than pointing towards other examples uh, in the industry when they make some of these changes. Yeah, I think that all tracks really well. And I, what struck me, um, because I was not uh, deaf to the cries out of Boston, uh, a disappointment with this season. And obviously Dombrowski, who's been a very, very successful uh, big league exec for a long time in a lot of organizations. He has a way of doing things. Uh, he has a way of um, specifically overhauling an organization to maximize near-term competitiveness. And I think it was always going to be a fair conversation in this transitional time. You know, Mookie Betts is going to be a year away from free agency. J.D. Martinez can opt out. Um, the farm system is depleted. And I think there was always going to be a conversation, okay, is Dombrowski going to be the guy we want to lead the the page turning? And what it made me think about today with the Red Sox being so decisive in making this change is 
when so we know that the Cubs have to confront a lot of organizational issues this offseason, um, both from a culture perspective where, you know, when you have all of this coaching staff churn and probably, I mean, I shouldn't say probably, but certainly potentially going to have a managerial churn as well this offseason, you do wonder at what point it's like, okay, perhaps we have not very cohesively and clearly laid out what, the the lifeblood of this organization is going to be the the Cubs way for a a lack of a better way of of saying it and it makes you wonder why the front office escapes these questions and that's not me I want to be really clear that I'm that I'm I'm trying to be nuanced here I'm not saying that they should necessarily at this point be attacked and criticized and questioned like why shouldn't they be turned over as well you know they've tried all these other things and this is the roster that they've built this is the sustained success that they've tried to put together and clearly clearly the as Jed Hoyer himself has said the whole has been considerably less than the sum of the parts and at whose feet should that fall I am just curious as a fan why again you know, Joe Madden so clearly comes in for the criticism from fans who I think I think it's probably now a majority have resigned themselves to the possibility that Madden will be moving on at the end of his contract this year. And they're fine with that. Why the front office, when you see another organization, the organization after which the Cubs have kind of um, tried to model themselves, they're like, no, we, we're making a quick decision. We've got a churn coming for our organization and boom, we're going to move on. We're going to do this now so that we can be set up to restructure the front office in time for the off season. Um, again, I just am curious why the Cubs organization doesn't see that same, not uh, that, that same questioning from the outside. And I don't know if it's just the lionization of Theo Epstein as the guy who finally won things with the Cubs. I don't know if it's just a, a, a sincere belief that they've done more good than bad and that there could still be, uh, more good ahead. I think for me personally, it's probably that one. I, I don't think, I don't know that the Cubs are going to get better at an organizational level in a single offseason by trying to make a fundamental change right now, rather than letting this crew kind of take a real shot at resorting this organ at the the big league roster out. So yeah, I'm just, I don't know. It it's it's it has brought all of that to mind, and and because I wasn't expecting this today. Uh, I don't have any hard and fast conclusions on that, but it does it, it does make for an interesting conversation about what is the difference between these organizations right now. Yeah, I think uh, the Cubs have always looked at the Red Sox, and they certainly noticed how um, things end in Boston. And you know, maybe it's time to just stop some of the scapegoating and recognize that you know Joe and Theo are both very good at their jobs. I mean, they are um, probably, uh, if not certainly, Hall of Famers. And that um, maybe it's time just to change around some of the players, like what most teams do. And that while it's not going to be a wide open payroll next year, there'll be a little more flexibility than last year. Um, Joe is very good with young players if the Cubs are going to transition a little bit, uh, whatever they're going to call it, a, a retooling, a reimagining, what have you. 
And, you know, the Cubs haven't spent quite like the White Sox, and Theo is not uh, as old school as Dombrowski, but he's certainly made uh, several justifiable win-now deals. And I do think just some of this is the bill coming due and that maybe the Cubs aren't quite as in uh, the same exaggerated heightened state as the Red Sox, but they're kind of in the same zip code. And uh, you can see, you know, that, you know, Theo wasn't bluffing when he called it um, a reckoning. And I don't think we know uh, where this is going to lead, but you can certainly um, picture one of those, you know, wow moments uh, coming in October. And I do think you're right that there has been this Madden fatigue when I feel like a lot of these issues are far beyond the manager's office when Joe is working with, you know, he's kind of playing the cards uh, he was dealt. And for his five-year run, that's they've had a really great hand. Um, they've made history. They've all made a ton of money off of it. But um, this isn't like, you know, the NBA or the NFL, we can kind of like, you know, plug in stars and just, you know, kind of, um, you know, book your playoff trips. It's a really, um, you know, fascinating, unpredictable game. And when you just look, look at all these names and what he's been working with now, you know, I'm not sure if there are that many like great answers um, on a nightly basis and, you know, we've all seen how uh, managers have been de-emphasized and kind of, you know, stripped uh, of their powers. But I don't get the sense that there's like a lot of, uh, you know, other great managers out there that are going to like manage circles around, you know, Joe Madden for the next, you know, two or three years. Yeah, that's a good point that um, the margins between managers in the big leagues now are probably as small as they have been been in our lifetimes as observers and although what's interesting is that cuts two ways it cuts into saying well you know they shouldn't necessarily uh, expect to be able to improve on Joe Madden and maybe he's still good to be around for another couple years I mean that's what he himself has suggested and the core as it is is at least still under control for another couple years and maybe as they are retooled around you stick around with Madden and see what happens. Uh, the way that cuts against that, however, is that if the margins between big league managers is so small, you are talking about a manager who makes $6 million and is uh, the oldest manager in the league. And maybe as part of the uh, acknowledgement that change is needed or a different voice is needed or for all the same reasons that all the rest of the coaching staff has been turned over so rapidly, it's like, well, maybe... The differences aren't so huge, so maybe we get a different voice in there who's less expensive, younger, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying it's that's a good or bad move. It's just you can envision that being part of the uh, explanation if and when it comes to that. So I guess we'll see on that front. Um, it, it all the the whole thing the, this day with Nico Horner coming up, with Dave Dombrowski being dismissed, with this ongoing conversation about Joe Madden, with the conversation about the roster being turned over in the off season, it is it is making these final few weeks of the season almost um, more fascinating to follow because 
we're we're almost assuming and taking for granted that there is nothing that can happen in the next three weeks, uh, either with the Cubs directly or in the league overall, that's going to change any of these conversations in such a fundamental way that it's a waste of time to even think or talk about them. It's like we already assume all of these things are going to be happening. And maybe, you know, maybe what's happening with Dombrowski is kind of the proof in the pudding because he won a World Series and yet nothing really changed in terms of um, what at a higher level is going to want to be done with that organization. And maybe that's what's going to happen with the Cubs, albeit at a step down just uh, with, you know, Theo and Jed and, and the, the highest ups in the front office thinking that regardless of what happens in these final few weeks of the season, fundamental changes are needed and they're, they're coming regardless of what happens these final few weeks. And, and maybe I'm wish casting, but I certainly hope that's the perspective that's taken. And, and so it kind of, um, it eases me a little bit as a fan to just be like, okay, cool. Nico's coming up, he'll play and, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe they hang on to this, uh, second wildcard spot and shoo, maybe they beat Max Scherzer in Washington in that game, whatever. We'll see. It's going to be interesting regardless. And there's big conversations that are going to happen after that regardless. So, I don't know. Maybe again, maybe I'm just putting that on myself because I want to chill out a little bit about um, what has otherwise been a, a desperately frustrating season. But we'll uh, we'll keep tracking it. And I, it's fun. It's fun to think about it in that way, at least. And I'll try. And so we'll enjoy Nico Horner's debut over the next few days. And uh, who knows, maybe get miraculously good news on Javi Baez today from the hand specialist. You know, I find it is funny to think about like him going to see some hand specialist that'll be like, oh, well, actually, I have some proprietary way of uh, injecting some adamantium into your hand that uh, you can be back on the field in a few days as if there are hand specialists out there that aren't going to be like, well, dude, it's broken, man. Broke is broke. So you're, you're toast. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. And we will see what uh, Nico's impact is. We'll see what other league-related fallout there is from the Dombrowski firing because, you know, that Boston job is going to be incredibly compelling to the up-and-coming young executives out there. And I'll also be curious to see if there is any conversation um, not directly attaching it to the Cubs in terms of like, ah, well, these are all old Boston guys. What's going to happen? But just in terms of like, okay, the Red Sox did this. Well, why is our conversation about the Cubs look any different? I just, I'll be curious to see what the fallout is from that. So um, maybe we'll have an additional layer to talk about on Thursday after Sahadev is back and, and he can, you know, muck up that entire entire conversation because you and I speak about it so in such a sophisticated way. Uh, thank you folks for listening. Uh, this was fun. It's fun to do one that's like uh, feels right on the edge of what is breaking. And we will be back at you Thursday morning, as always, with Onto Waveland. That's Patrick Mooney. Catch his awesome work at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. Catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. And we'll see you folks again soon. Take care, my friends.